So this week, uh, in multiple different scenarios and occasions, I've been thinking about expectations and how important expectations are in our life. Uh, We need, our expectations are most helpful, and we need them to line up with reality, the way that life really is, what's really real. So you might have expectations about anything as small as going to a new restaurant or seeing a new movie, because who would go to a movie if you don't have some expectation of it being good? But if you go and you have a mediocre experience, then, you know, you're, you're let down. Uh, it didn't meet your expectations. Other times, uh, we have things on our calendars that they're there. Uh, maybe it's like a social event or a small group. And I know for me, sometimes I, I have small group on Tuesday night, and it's like, ah. I know I'm supposed to lead that group, but I don't really want to go tonight. <laughs> uh, I'm not expecting too much. It's just another small group. Uh, and then e- whether I'm leading or not, I often leave realizing, oh, I, I needed that. I didn't see that I needed that. I-, I didn't have a lot of expectation, but the reality was I needed that. Uh, also, when, if, you're ever, if you've ever gone overseas or if you ever will go overseas to share Christ, um, Expectations are really important because you're both trying to make changes in people that you're around and you're trying to navigate changes yourself. They live life a different way. They speak a different language. And so expectations are really important when we're trying to make or navigate changes. And we are navigating a change right now, whether you know it or not, whether you feel it this morning or not. Um, we're navigating a change, which is we've spent seven months in 2 Corinthians, and this morning we're not really in 2 Corinthians, at least not in the same way that we have been. So Jake mentioned we are now starting a a topical series uh, titled People Skills. And the whole idea with people skills is that we, as God's people, need to be able to relate with other people well. Not perfectly, Only Jesus does that. But we need to increase our skills at relating to people, especially people who are not like us. Jesus says that even even sinners, you know, hang out and love people who are like them. But we as God's people are called to more than that. So let's, let's look at recent reality and some expectations that we should, I hope, find helpful as we transition into studying this, this topical study of people skills. So a recent reality, uh, again, whether you felt it or not, we've been averaging like eight verses a week, like in our passage, and we've really like stuck to that passage in 2 Corinthians. Um, we can't really do that with a topical series. We're going to be all over the place. Today, we're probably going to cover around 16 chapters. <laughs> uh, And so it's going to look a lot different. And I'm still going to get you out on time. In fact, I'll probably be shorter than I was last week. Um, So with that, I I still want you to expect the Bible. I want you to always expect the Bible out of these sermons. But it's going, it might feel slightly different than before. And you might think, well, how? How, How's it going to feel different? Um, Well, for one, we're covering more information or more, more, more parts of the Bible and we might jump from one part to the other. Um, and then also this Sunday we're recapping like 
the last 11 months. I, I don't want us to just start people skills. I want us to see today, the goal is to see the forest and not just get stuck on, well, we did this study of experiencing God. We, we looked at the gospel when we first started and we also did the Great Commission. It's easy to, to, to look at trees and miss the forest. So today's goal is really the, to see the forest of why, why have we done what we've done so far? And how does that all tie in with people skills? So uh, that, that's why it's going to be a little different today. And uh, yeah, like I said before, people skills is a topical study. So I want to give you a quick preview of some of the topics. This isn't every week, but some of the topics we're going to look at in the coming weeks is our identity. So who are you? Where do you find your value? Because whatever your identity is in, it is very much going to impact how you interact with other people. We're also going to look at the biblical model of relationships, especially of the church, is not that we cluster together in groups of people who are like us. That's, that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is that people of different ages, people of different stages of life, people of different socioeconomic status, different personalities, different ethnicities are all brought together by the gospel. They're brought together by God's love for them and their love for God and how that love for God spills out into their love for each other. So people who would otherwise have nothing in common, they might otherwise be enemies. They're, they can be deep friends in Christ. And we're also going to consider uh, what I'd call the, the category of the, the art of conversation. I think uh, it's really important to know how to be perceptive, how to listen to people well, how to speak. And God's word talks to all of these topics. So, and they're all helpful in how we can grow in people skills. But uh, with any topical study, especially, I just want to encourage you to be like the Bereans who in the book of Acts, they listened to Paul's teaching and then they went and diligently studied the scriptures for themselves. Uh, do that with, if, you're going, if, if we're ever going through a book of the Bible, I encourage you to do that, but especially with a topical study uh, because I want you to see the verses in their context. So uh, a few other expectations. Here's, here's the, the slide of people skills. I hope that gives you a better picture of people skills, people interacting. Uh, and when you think about like, how do you, how do you grow, how, how can you better relate to people? There's a lot of self-help books out there. This is not a self-help series. Self-help is, you can do it, Sarah. You can do it, Roger. Just try harder, you know? Try these different tactics. You have what it takes to, to, to improve, you know? That's self-help. And, and throughout 2 Corinthians, we've seen we don't have what it takes. We have who it takes. We need to rely on Jesus. So this is a series where we're going to cry out together, God, help us. Help us become better listeners. Help us become better speakers. Not public speakers, but people who speak and breathe life into people rather than we speak and take life out of people. <laughs> and God, he is the king of all of life. He's the king of relationships. And as I was reflecting on that this week, I remembered 
He's really the only one. He's the only person in the universe that has perfect relationship. And he has that perfect relationship with himself in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're perfectly unified. Three persons, but one in essence, one being. And this God, the King of relationships, is available to help you and to help me with our relationships. So we, we're not seeking better people skills to, to make people like us. We're not seeking better people skills to be more impressive or to manipulate people because sometimes people with really good people skills, they just use those to get what they want out of you and it's manipulation. But we're seeking better people skills in the coming months to show and tell people Jesus. We're seeking to love people because God loves people and he's called us to love people out of our love for God. So if our cry really is, God, help us, <laughs> not self-help, but God, would you help us? Uh, I want us to stand uh, and pray together that God would, in fact, do that this morning and as we move forward. So would you stand with me? It's good to get us a little blood flow and, uh, and help us to keep our focus on what, what we're looking for and what we're asking God for. So God, no matter how many friends we have, no matter how good or bad we feel like our friendships are right now or what the ceiling is in our mind of how good they could be, no matter what our personality is, we lay all of that at your feet and we all absolutely cry out to you from our hearts that we need your help to love people well. Apart from you, we can do no good thing. So God, help us. And Father, would you glorify yourself as you grow us to become people who are real blessings to those who are around us, whether they know you as their Lord and Savior or not. Amen. You can be seated. So now we're going to stop talking about expectations and start talking about the forest. So I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees. And that's an idiom that basically means you get so focused on the details that you, f you forget why those details matter. So my goal, again, my goal for us today is that we'd see the forest of where we've been and why it matters, how it all ties together. So we're going we're gonna to look at a summary of where we've been. We started uh, in Matthew 26 through 28. And that is the account of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And you might wonder, well, why start there? And honestly, that wasn't my original idea. My original idea was, we'll start with the Great Commission because we need to be a church that pursues the Great Commission. But as I studied the Great Commission, what comes right before it, God was saying, the Great Commission's good, Ben, but this is better. This is better. This is of first importance. And that's what Paul says. He said, I passed on to you what is of first importance. Here's what's of first importance, which was also passed on to Paul. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That Christ was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So that's where we started. We, I, wanted, I think God wanted us to lay a foundation of here's what's most important. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And 
everything that we do should be flowing from our gratitude and a response to what Jesus has done for us. So we do the Great Commission. We move towards making disciples because the gospel inspires our efforts. And then, you know, Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And so we spent three weeks with these three verses where Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I'll be be with you always to the end of the age. And so, there's so much to be said about that. But I just want to boil it down to this. If you claim to follow Jesus, you're called to make disciples who make disciples. If you claim that the gospel, that, 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 that Jesus' death and resurrection has been applied to your life, then this is part of what obedience means for you. And Jesus doesn't give any exceptions like, you know, if you have young kids, then you don't have to make disciples for that season. Or, you know, if you're working overtime, you don't have to make disciples. This is for all of us. And in order to make disciples that Jesus desires, in order to move towards that, we have to be the kind of disciple that Jesus desires. So that's why we did the Experiencing God study, was to focus on our relationship with God. That We have no chance at making disciples if we're not growing in our walk with God, if we're not abiding in Christ. And so basically this mission that we have as believers, is accomplished out of a love relationship that God has initiated and that he is sustaining with us. And in that relationship, we can hear God speak to us. And so experiencing God, my prayer was that as a church, we would learn how to discern God's voice. Because as we hear from God, we're going to move towards obedience And as we move towards obedience, it's just a matter of time before we get really uncomfortable (laughs) because God calls us to do things that make us trust him (laughs) that we cannot do on our own. And so that's why we walk through 2 Corinthians, right? The theme of 2 Corinthians is power and weakness. So as a church, uh, we're moving towards being a people who are moved by the gospel to mission, but all of this is done in the context of a deepening relationship with God. We talk to him frequently, we talk to him honestly, and we hear from him. And we don't hear from him perfectly, but we do hear from him. And as we hear from him, we move towards obedience. And then as we move towards obedience, we're aware of our weakness. Well, what do we do with weakness? It's easy to want to Ignore weakness, deny weakness. But Second Corinthians, in Second Corinthians, God's encouraging us, press into your weakness. You're always going to be weak. You're always going to need Jesus. So press into your weakness, grab some buddies, and embrace, embrace that weakness for the sake of Christ. Because when we choose to embrace our weakness, we'll experience God's power. His power is made perfect. In weakness. His grace is sufficient 
for us. And we experience that sufficiency as we press into that weakness. And it also says in 2 Corinthians that the people around us, so this is where we're getting to people skills, the people around us will be affected as we experience God's power. I mean, if you're experiencing the power of Almighty God and people are in your life, they'll hear it, they'll see it. So now we're going to, you know, shift to this series in the coming weeks on people skills, which simply means the ability to relate to people well and what it looks like to love people well. So just think about this question for a little bit. How important is your ability to make, develop, and sustain healthy relationships with people? How important are people skills to you? Jesus actually an- answered that question. In Matthew 22, one of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, in the religious law, tried to trap Jesus by asking him a question. He said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And in my opinion, this is one of the most profound statements in the entire Bible. I mean, Jesus was just asked out of the Old Testament, which has so many laws, <laughs> what's the most important one? It was a trap question, and it was a loaded question. But Jesus not only gives the right answer, he gives two answers, and he prioritizes them for us. First, love God with all of your being. And then the second, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. He prioritizes them, but he connects them, which is incredible to me. When he says the second is like it, So, love for God is connected to love for people. The second is like it. And that's the foundation for this whole series. That our love for God is connected to our relationships with people. So far, we've really been focusing on our love for God. The fact that he sent his son, died on the cross, rose from the grave, gave us the great commission, we do that. We do the Great Commission out of our love for God, out of our relationship with God. We experience God in relationship with God. We press into our weakness for the, for the sake of Christ. And we experience God there in our weakness. We experience God's power. Well, now I want us to look at how that flows out into our relationships, how it should impact us. And if you think... Ben, that's just two words. That's a really weak foundation for a sermon series that the second is like it. I just encourage you to open up the Bible and start reading. (laughs) People sin against God in Genesis 3. What happens in Genesis 4? The first murder. Whenever our relationship with God starts suffering, our relationship with people starts suffering because they're connected. The second is like it. Or, If you want to see the picture that God paints in the New Testament of restored relationship, 
Look at the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are predominantly about our restored relationship with God. The last three chapters, predominantly about how that restored relationship with God should impact our relationships with people being restored. Romans, 11 chapters on relationship with God. The last five chapters on focused primarily on relationships with each other. It's just like Jesus said, everything else depends on these two commandments. Some translations say, on this all the law and the prophets hang. It's like something you hang your coat on. It's like, this can support the weight of all the law and all the prophets. prophets. And I would even say, the New Testament continues that. So this is, I just think it's profoundly important. And it can have profound practical impact on our lives. If we acknowledge how important it is to make, develop, and sustain healthy relationships with people, how important are people skills? I'd say based on Jesus' teaching here, it's vitally, it's vitally important. The only thing more important is your relationship to God. But even that is connected to your relationships with people. Your ability, your willingness to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, even in last week's message, and I know we've all slept since last week, but last week's message in a sentence is that maturity is shown in your relationships with God and people. Relationships, it's part of our worship. Worship is not just a Sunday morning deal. Worship is a lifestyle of a believer. And when our relationships are marked by maturity, they're not about us. They're not about how much we enjoy them. And I promise you will enjoy them if you make them about Jesus. When our relationships are marked by maturity, our relationships are about Jesus and what he wants, both for us and for them, and for us together. And if you think about Jesus as a lawgiver, right? Jesus came and, you know, kind of set some expectations with his teachings. Kind of, he, he acknowledged the Old Testament law, he fulfilled it, and then, in a sense, he raised the bar. You've heard that it was said about, you've heard that it was said, you know, to do this or don't do this, but I tell you, do this. Jesus kind of gave some laws. He kept the laws that he gave. He kept the first and greatest commandment to love God with all of your being, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we see Jesus keeping this law even to the point of death. It was his love for God that drove him to the cross. It was also his love for his neighbor. When God the Son became a man, he became our neighbor in a sense. Because Jesus says anyone who crosses your path is your neighbor. And anyone who trusts in Jesus, you can do this. You can grow in loving God first and loving people second. And you can do this because Jesus isn't dead. Jesus continues to love God and love people. He lives in the lives of believers and he lives 
in heaven at the right hand of God, the place of power and authority. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. So I guess what I'm saying is if Christ is in you, you can live this kind of life, loving God and loving people. Not perfectly, but progressively, just like we talked about last week, up and to the right. And if you're not yet a Christ follower, I just want to ask, is that something that you want? Like, do you want to love God and love people? Do you want to live for someone or something more than yourself? More than just pleasing people? All you have to do is turn away from living life your own way and follow Jesus. He will and does require all of you, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. And it's, it's, it, it's simple. You can just tell Jesus, I'm ready to place my faith in you. I'm ready to follow you and leave life my way and live life your way. Just tell him that. Tell him something like that. And then tell someone else here about that too. Because we need each other. <laughs> we need people skills to stay encouraged and to walk this life of faith. So let's turn to some specific applications from 12 months of messages. Uh, let's, let's try to tie people skills into where we've been. People skills is tied into the gospel and making disciples because men are God's method. And so when I, when I say men are God's method, I mean men and women, humanity. That's God's method for spreading the gospel. That's God's chosen method for making disciples. He extends an invitation to relationship through human relationships. So isn't it important that we know how to relate to each other well? And the best way that we can love each other is by loving God first. And if we love God first, then we will offer to others what God is offering them which starts with the gospel and continues with the gospel and ends with the gospel. It also means that we need to be aware of the fact that we're always being changed ourselves. We, we need to continue developing as disciples ourselves. So putting ourselves around other people who will help us in that journey we can look at people skills and experiencing God. It, title's a little misleading since we're not really talking about what it means to experience God this morning. So if you missed those 13 weeks in the fall, uh, we're not pursuing special supernatural encounters with God. We're, we're pursuing deepening love relationship with him. And most in the room have probably heard of the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, where it says love is patient, love is kind. Well, that chapter was written to a group of people that overvalued special spiritual encounters with God, like speaking in tongues. And they undervalued people skills and relationships because they were disunified as a church. They were, they were not unified. And here's what Paul says in the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 13, I'm summarizing. He basically says, if you don't have love, 
you don't got nothing. So people skills and experiencing God go hand in hand. Love is not a feeling. It's a commitment to God who is love. God defines love for us. And then love is a commitment to people. So make your aim to love God and love people. That's our aim as a church. But we need everyone individually to make that their aim. In order to be the church that we're called to be, that has to be your aim and your aim and your aim and not just my aim. It has to be our aim to love God and love people. And then another application is regarding 2 Corinthians. Uh, It won't be long before we feel weak and inadequate. So will you... Will you press into that weakness along with other people? Will you let other people into your weakness? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.16, right before this, right before this, he's talking about what it means to be a Christian is to be a smell of Jesus, a smell. A smell of Jesus to the world. And he says, who is adequate to be a smell of Jesus? Who's adequate? And then he says a few verses later, no one, no one's adequate in ourselves to be considered, to to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Basically, no one's adequate, but our adequacy is from God who's made us adequate. So again, we don't have what it takes, we have who it takes. So I want to conclude by sharing with you a real life example. I said this has enormous practical implications And this week, uh, I saw fragments of it multiple times, but I met with one friend that it was just like blaring. (laughs) That this is what it looks like to apply love for God and deepening people skills in the midst of weakness, in the midst of pursuing love relationship with God, in the midst of living out mission, but feeling weak and inadequate. So I'm just going to read the story that I, that I typed up um, about my, my time, the time I spent with my friend. He was telling me how he was feeling inadequate for all that he has on his plate. Uh, he's serving in many important roles. People depend on him at his workplace, at home. But even beyond that, he wears multiple hats as a volunteer And in all of that, my friend knows his service is absolutely futile apart from God's blessing. He knows that he's signed up for things and that God has signed him up for things that he's powerless to do. He's powerless to accomplish on his own. And so he was telling me how he has this sense of really being afraid to fail because all these things are really important. (laughs) But... They're my responsibility, but they're also out of my control. I feel powerless, I feel inadequate, and I feel helpless. In the midst of all this, he's told me how he's choosing to turn to God with this, but turning to God is not eliminating the sense of despair that he feels. And he says, I know cognitively, I know in my head that when I'm weak, I'm strong, I know that God's word says that, but I sure don't feel strong when I'm feeling weak. And I was just thinking, yeah, that's exactly right. 
I've been there. It's just a matter of time before I'm going to be there again. And I don't know how he felt, of course, like the details of his life were different than the details of my life when I felt weak before. But I could tell that it sure sounded and it looked like he felt like he was losing or that a sense of inevitably I will lose. But he was winning and I told him that. Because fighting is winning and he was being faithful. And faithfulness is success, even if it doesn't feel like success. He was turning to God. He was not putting more on his back than God was calling him to because he had support. He had affirmation of those callings from the people close to him. So for this season, that's what faithfulness looks like. And it didn't feel that way to him. It didn't feel like he was winning. But that's why we need people in our lives to tell us that, to help us see the truth. And then I told my friend a year ago, I was beyond anxious. I was, I was feeling very, very weak about planting this church, about if and when and how this would come together. And I had a lot on my plate. It was more than I could handle. But I told him that God used you as well as other people to help me experience the power of God in a way that I, other, I, I couldn't have if I wasn't feeling that weak, that weakness. So when I told my friend how encouraged I was by his life, by the way that he's handling the temptation that he's feeling to despair, it wasn't that I was encouraged because he's feeling puny and uh, you know, he's really struggling, but it's because he's struggling well. He's turning to God. He's asking for prayer. He's including other people. And I know that God's grace will prove sufficient. Just like Christ told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And so whether it's a year from now or two years from now, but definitely 200 years from now, when my friend's dead, he'll be able to look back and say, thank you, Lord. That was good, good, for, good for me, good for me, for me. I got to know you so much better because we went through that together. And I just think my friend in the story is just a picture of what it looks like to love God and love people well. It's hard. It's weighty. It'll bring you to weakness. It's just a matter of time before you feel weak and inadequate. But this is what's best for us. And as you move towards that together with other people, you will be both encouraged and challenged. People are encouraged by your weaknesses and challenged by your strengths. And we all need to give and receive both encouragement and challenge. But the only way that we can give and receive encouragement and challenge is if healthy relationships are there. If relationships of trust have been established. Those relationships flow from our relationship with God first and foremost. They're second First comes relationship with God. Second is like it. Relationships with others. Loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what reality in the kingdom of God is like. That reality is available to you. I encourage you to make it your expectation that that's what your life should look like. Not perfectly, but progressively. Make that your expectation. Let's pray together.
Father, would you please help us? We won't keep relationship with you first. <laughs> We're a flight risk. And we won't love our neighbor as ourself. If you don't help us, we absolutely need you. So we cry out to you for help in our marriages, with extended family, with friends, with people in our workplace, with all of our neighbors, God, all the people who cross our paths. Pray that, at least on our end, uh, these relationships would be part of our worship to you. We can't and we won't take responsibility for other people's end of the deal. It takes two people to have really sweet relationship, but God, I pray that we would love our neighbors and that you would use our relationships to make disciples who make disciples and glorify your name.